good to see everyone out this evening. I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy. A letter to 1 Timothy. We'll be starting in that letter in just a moment, 1 Timothy. Uh, like I said, it's good to have everyone out with us. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you. We invite you back whenever you're able, and we just ask that if uh, you're new here, you stick around for a few minutes that we might get to know you a little bit better, be able to talk with you before you leave. Um, <clears throat> I also just take a moment just to remember to be appreciative of the men that lead in the assembly, the men that lead in the worship service. That's, it's a good thing to have men that can do that and to, you know, Rick and Michael both leading the songs uh, both this morning and this evening. I just I appreciate them leading the songs they did and choosing the songs that they do. I don't know if maybe they uh, try to decide what hymns to pick out when they look at the names on the, uh, you know, that, that sign out front but they usually do a pretty good job this morning I felt like there were some songs that went pretty right along with the lesson and this night as uh, well I just I appreciate the attention that they put into those things uh, and also just appreciate those that are willing to serve you know we had a couple slots that needed to be filled tonight uh, with the prayer the announcements I just appreciate uh, both uh, both of them Glenn and uh, Aubrey both filling in in those uh, moments of need so just be appreciative of the men that do fill in when they can and when we need them and it's kind of along those lines in terms of brethren that work brethren that you know have the kind of character to work is what I want to talk about tonight because uh, we started a series of lessons on the eldership a few weeks ago and I want to continue that tonight and we already briefly Describe the work, and I say briefly because it was not an exhaustive list by any means, but it, it was, I think, a decent list to kind of give us an overview of what the work of an overseer is, the work of a pastor, of a shepherd, of an elder. And what I want to do tonight is talk about the kind of qualities that God said is needed of a man to accomplish that work, specifically when it comes to that man's character. There, I, I really don't think it would be helpful to go through every single qualification of an elder in one lesson. I've done that before, and it just I, I don't think it was very helpful. I think it was more confusing than anything. So I wanted to break these qualifications down into manageable pieces and I think that this is a pretty decent way to start with an elder's character and I would just start by saying without these qualities a man simply cannot and is not equipped to accomplish the work that an elder is trying to accomplish and secondly without these qualities already in place a man is not permitted to do that uh, hence we use the term qualifications and so and I think both are very good terms and terms that we need to use uh, frequently there are qualities that are already in place and they qualify a man to actually do that work and so we're not going to hit every single quality tonight but I just want to focus on those that make up an elder's character and so these will be the ones that we focus on because I, I think that these qualities in particular make up the character of an elder, the kind of uh, man that is able to do this work. This describes the character of a man that must, uh, uh, the qualities that a man and a character that a man must have to be considered an elder and to be capable of being one. And so I will just say that as we go throughout these uh, qualifications, it, there's going to be a little bit more information on the screen than usual. And that's just so that way if you're taking notes, you can have a little bit more to write down, a little bit more to go off of. But they're just going to be up on the screens for visual aid and for your edification. And, and as we use that, I'm really trying to make the, the main point of what do these qualifications mean? What is it that God wants us to understand about 
what desiring the work looks like. What does it mean to be respectable? What does it mean to be gentle? I want to make the main point of what do each of these mean. And so first of all, as we look at the character of an elder, the first place we start is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And that word uh, desire may come up twice in your translation in New American Standards as aspires and desires. Um, and, and they're two different Greek words, but ultimately they're, they're really talking about the same thing. It's a man that desires to do the work of an elder. And, you know, you may look at this and think, what does that have to do with a man's character? I think it has a lot to do with it. Now, how so? Well, if he desires the work, that means that he desires to work. This isn't a lazy man. This is not a man that you look at and would have a poor work ethic. This is someone who would want to do more and not just sit back and hopefully get by with a little bit less, with a lesser, lesser load than maybe someone else. And on the other hand, I think it kind of, I think it goes hand in hand, the notion that he is already busy in the work of a Christian. He is already working. Now, what I don't mean by that is that this man is just taking the reins for himself, that he's trying to make decision as if he's an elder when he's not. But what I am saying is that this is someone who is not waiting to be appointed to a specific role to be active in the church. It's someone who's already active. It's someone who wants to do the work of the kingdom, who wants to help in the evangelism, who wants to help in the assemblies. This is what we're talking about. This is a man who doesn't have to be asked to help and be active in the church. It's not someone that you're constantly begging. This is someone that you don't have to beg. He is ready and willing and able. And so he does so. And so he already is. Now, when we talk about this qualification in particular, people say, well, people can desire the work, but people can desire it for two different reasons, right? They can desire it for a good reason, and there are some people that desire it for poor reasons. And frankly, there are people like that. We have to be able to discern that. So how can we know the difference between a man who desires this work for the right reason and for the wrong reason? Well, as you see on the screen before you, I think these are really good indicators. And as we were talking about a moment ago, is he active in the church? If a man's not active in the church, I don't think he truly desires the work. I don't think he's capable of doing the work. He needs to be someone who's already active. Is he just someone who is, instead of being active, just dodging responsibilities? Or when he's given responsibilities or asked to do responsibilities, is he trying to constantly pass them off? That's not a man that desires to do work in the kingdom. That, that, that's a man that is not fit to be an elder. We are talking about someone who wants to do the work, who wants to go deeper into the work. Because this is... a. It's, it's a weighty work, and, and I hope that as we go throughout all these lessons that I don't make the case that this is a work that people do, you really don't want to do. This is a good work, and it can bring much joy, but it is, frankly, in reality, a work that can also bring some pain, and we're going to talk about that especially at the end of the lesson. But again, just continuing on, how do we know the difference between a man who desires it for a good reason, desires it for a bad reason? Does he always have to be right? Is this a man that always has to be the smartest person in the room? Or maybe views himself as the smartest person in the room? Is, is he aggressive in all of his dealings? I think pretty clearly, when you look at that man and you see those kinds of things time and time again, that's a man that desires the position for a wrong reason. That's the man that desires the position for something that, frankly, is not serving, which is what this work consists of. And so he desires it for a poor reason. Is, 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 is this, on the other hand, a man who is willing to talk? who is a humble enough to say, hey, listen, I, I haven't always made the right decisions, 
I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to hear uh, out the other side of the discussion. Is he gentle and patient in those conversations? I think that's a good indicator of someone who desires to do the work because that's what it requires, all of these qualifications that we're going to talk about. If he does not have the rest of these in place, then he, he's not ready to do that work. Desiring the work is crucial because what happens when someone gets mad at you in the work? <laughs> what happens when there's a complaint? Because there will be. <laughs> This is a big group of people. And no matter how big the group is, there's always going to be some kind of complaint. There's always going to be disagreement in how things are handled. And a man that's going to be doing this work needs to be able to take that kind of criticism. And it's not always going to be constructive. It's not always going to be as gentle as you should be. You're going to have to be able to take that. And, and I'll tell you, a man who loves the work, who loves to serve, won't stop when people get upset at him. He's going to persevere. He's going to endure. But the man who does not have this quality, this desire to work, a man who loves the spotlight, a man who loves the recognition or the glamour of being called an overseer, that man is not going to be able to persevere. He is either going to get angry and lash out or quit. And neither are good. And so how can we tell? Is he ready to work? Is he already active? Is he resolved to persevere? Does he want to serve in a deeper capacity? That, that is a man that sounds like can be an elder, that desires the work for right reasons. Well, not only that, but we also talk about respectable. And, and you know, what does that mean? In, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, he gives a, 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 you know, starts giving that whole list of things that a man must be. And one of those words that's used is respectable. Frankly, I like the way the New King James Version per, puts it because it says a man of good behavior. And I really think that that's ultimately what we're talking about here. It's about his behavior. Does he have a respectable behavior? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 9, this is an interesting uh, point to make, I, I would think. Luke, 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 9, it says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Now, why did we go to this passage? Because it's the same word that's used for respectable in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That word for proper clothing, in, in that, that's the New American Standard. The New King James says modest apparel or modest clothing. And I, th I think that that helps us understand the kind of behavior that this man has to have. When, he, when you look at this man's behavior, when you look at the kind of man that he is, the kind of character he has, he is modest and proper as opposed to an immodest man and an improper man. And when you think about modesty... And how Christians are supposed to dress. We talked about this a few months ago. But how are we supposed to dress? We're not supposed to be trying to draw attention on ourselves. At least through, through worldly means. To looking like the world. What we're trying to do is if we, get, if we get any attention. It's because we are acting godly when no one else is. And I think that's uh, a similar to what the elder is supposed to be. To what this kind of man, a respectable man, is supposed to be. That when he does draw attention on himself, it's not because he looks like the rest of the world. It's because he looks like Jesus. He's imitating Jesus. And so if there is any attention brought on him, it's because of his godliness. In addition to that, uh, when you look at the definition of the word, the American Standard Version uses orderly. And I even think that's interesting. Thayer would say that it means well arranged. And, and I think that that's helpful when you look at the kind of behavior, the respectable behavior that a man has to have. His life has to be in order. It has to be well arranged. And in fact, when you get to the domestic qualities of this man, the domestic qualifications of this man, that makes sense. 
If his house is not in order, what does Timothy say? How in the world is he supposed to take care of the household of God? So the things in his life have to be in order as well. In the household, when it comes to his family, the domestic qualities, when it comes to his financial dealings, when it comes to everything, it's, in, uh, it's well arranged and it's orderly. And so that's the kind of behavior of a man that we're talking about. It's, it's, not, it's not one of chaos, but it's one of calm, uh, calculated, uh, a gentleman-like behavior. And so the main point I would say is this, this is a man whose whole life, not a part of it, but a whole life is reputably dignified. And just like what we were talking about with modesty, again, he's not drawing attention on himself through worldly means. He's drawing attention on himself. If he gets any, he receives it because of his godliness. And so this is a man whose good behavior is not questionable, but sure in his life. People don't look at him and think, that, that guy is a worthless fellow. That guy is just... You should see how he acts when he's outside of the church building. No, no, no. It's all orderly, all the way throughout his life. So he's a respectable man. Well, thirdly on this list, we have gentle. And frankly, some of these words, I think you, you just automatically have some context when you come into it because, well, we all speak the same language. And gentle, I think there are many things that come to mind. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, that's where you find this word. And again, I don't want to get... I don't want to just try and bog this down purposefully with a bunch of information, but I think that all of this is helpful to help us understand what, these, what, what God is wanting from this kind of man. Mounts would say that this means reasonable. In fact, we're going to see that it actually comes across that way in a couple translations. In, the, in Strong's, it says that it is appropriate or the word moderation. And when you look at moderation, especially when it comes to a man's character, what do you, what do you immediately think of? If he, if he is moderate, if he is dispassionate, is he a man that's going to immediately at the, you know, at a hair trigger blow up on somebody? Is he going to lash out on somebody with his emotions just as soon as something uh, even remotely volatile happens? No, if he's gentle, he's dispassionate. He's not immediately reacting on his emotions. He approaches this with reasonableness and and and. and, and with a pro, in an appropriate way. Um, over in Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. That same word there in, uh, in verse, uh, Philippians chapter 4, it's the same word we just read in 1 Timothy. In fact, like I said, the ESV uses the word reasonableness. The Legacy Standard Bible, uh, which is just, uh, it's essentially the New American Standard, but it's, uh, uh, it's an update from the 2020 update of the New American Standard, which was just not... Not very, not very good. But regardless, uh, it, it's a considerate spirit. It's someone that can be reasoned with, and he reacts reasonably. It's not someone who, who, when you approach him, you have no idea how he's going to respond. No, it, because of his character, because of the kind of man he is, you know that you can approach him. You know that you can maybe ask some questions. You know that you can share with him maybe some struggles that you're having, and he's not just going to freak out. He's going to respond reasonably, appropriately, for whatever the occasion, whatever the matter may be. And so the main point in this is that this is a man who is careful and calculated in how he approaches an issue. And so when thinking about what this looks like, what this does not look like is a man who is going to solve a problem in the most volatile and inappropriate way possible. When, when you have to go under invasive surgery and there is going to be delicate organs that are being operated on. Do you want the surgeon to go in with a precise scalpel or with a chainsaw? 
No, you, you want the delicate approach. You do not want the wild one. You don't want him to play the wild card and just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something crazy today. No, you want him to be considerate. You want him to be reasonable. And in the same way, that's what we want from an elder. We want a man that is not going to approach it in the most wild way possible. When an issue arises in, arises in the church, and it very it, it, it will. When that happens, an elder is not going to approach an already volatile situation with a blowtorch. He's going to try and calm the situation down. He's going to approach it in such a way that it automatically cools everyone down. And so this is what a gentle man looks like, the kind of man who... Is, can be reasoned with and is reasonable in his reactions. Well, not only that, but we also have a lover of what is good. And that's the New King James Version way of putting it. And I kind of like that uh, a little bit better because really it just encapsulates the entire life. <laughs> he is a lover of what is good. So, so what does that mean? What is good? Well, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, that should be verse 8. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, <clears throat> It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, uh, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What, is, what does he say you need to do, you need to dwell on and meditate on if you want the God of peace to be with you? Well, you just have to focus on what is of good repute, leave everything else aside. Is that what he says? You just have to focus on what is right and then leave everything else aside. Is that what he said? No, he says you need to think about all of these things. And when I look at a man who is a lover of what is good, that is someone who both dwells on and promotes diligently godliness. What we read in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4, he's already got this in place. This is not something he's working on. This is something that he is already doing well. That's one of the things about these qualities. They're already completely established in his habits, in his life. And I'm not saying that he's going to be perfect in these things, but, they, but they're, it's not like he's far off, away from it, and we're going to have to put him in a situation before he can get enough exercise to, to have this down. No, he's someone who's been working on these things. And that's one of the reasons that we started where we did with a desire to work, because if you're already working, it is very likely that these things will be in place. If you're not, if you don't have that desire to work, almost none of them will be. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that probably none of them are. So all of these things go together. But when you think about that, that notion of both promoting godliness and dwelling on it constantly, if you were to, uh, if you were Luke and you were writing through Acts and you were going on journeys with Paul throughout his missionary journeys as he was preaching to people and it, while you were actually with Paul how long do you think it took for Paul when they were walking from place to place or sailing from place to place to start talking about spiritual matters how long do you think it took Paul to start talking about Jesus how long do you think it took Paul to start you know when when you're in the middle of some random conversation he just says oh but doesn't that just remind you of something uh, that we read about in the scriptures I, th I think that <laughs> Frankly, some people, and maybe even Christians, would start to get annoyed with Paul because it's, it's something that he never stopped talking about. And frankly, I, I think that's a good indicator. You, it's hard to stop talking about the things that you're always, always thinking about. It's hard to stop talking about the things that you can't get your mind off of. And I think that's the kind of man that, that we're talking about when it, who is a lover of what is good. He is a lover of everything that has to do with God. Everything that is good, that points to God. Every blessing, that points to God. And so, 
When, when you look at this kind of man, this is not going to be someone who is tied down and hindered by the encumbrances of this world. Over in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, John talks about the kind of love that, that wars against a love for God. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so he, he doesn't even just say, you're going to struggle. What he says is, if you have a love of the world, you don't love God. That's pretty striking, isn't it? And so this man that we're talking about, if he is going to be qualified, if he is going to have these, this kind of character, he is already someone who has left the love of the world behind. And the things that maybe everyone else is going to laugh about, the things that is going to entertain everybody else, he has no interest in those things. He's not someone who's constantly struggling with those things, but he's put the material things, he's put the, this, the things of this earthly plane aside for the love of God and for the love of spiritual matters. This is a man who's already spending more time and energy on spiritual matters. So what does that look like? I think there's a few things that we could say, but here's just a couple. What this looks like if he is a lover of what is good, if he's constantly dwelling on it, if he's constantly promoting it. What this looks like is he spends more time at gospel meetings, going to gospel meetings, planning on going to gospel meetings, than planning on going to the sporting events. This looks like a man who spends more time in, in trying to figure out how to have more Bible studies than trying to get out of them. This is a man who does not roll his eyes at more Bible studies, but a lack of them. What he rolls his eyes at is not being able to do more of the thing that he loves, which is the spiritual things, which is the things that God would want us to be a part of. And so that, that's the kind of man that we're looking for. And I, and I tell you what, I think, that, I think that that's a really good illustration to use because frankly, there have been times where discussions like this has come up in the past and what one of the main things that I think of is how often has, have I seen this man spend time at a gospel meeting in the area, not just at the congregation he's at, but around the area. And when a brother comes in, maybe, maybe you have Tommy Peeler come from Avon, Indiana, and he preaches a gospel meeting. He did that recently. Are we trying to go and hear sound teaching, powerful, profound teaching? Or are we trying to fill our weekends with only recreational things? And there's nothing wrong with recreational things, but there is something wrong with too much of it when we forget about the spiritual. And so this is the kind of man we're looking for. His character, he's a lover of what is good, and he is not struggling with love of the world. He's put it away. He's put it behind him. Not only that, but this is a man who is just. The English standard uses the word upright. There's a lot of different things that you could say about this. In fact, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 47, after Jesus dies, this same word is used, but it's translated as innocent. And it's when the centurion looks at Jesus and says, surely this man is innocent. In Matthew chapter 20, in verse 4, Matthew chapter 20, during a, uh, a parable that Jesus is giving there, in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, in verse 4, as he's going through this parable, talking about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like, talks about the, the people that are coming in, the, the, uh, the workers that are coming into the vineyard to, to work for what they are agreed upon. In verse 4 it says, To those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. That word right, I have on the screen fair, because that's really what we're talking about. Whatever is fair. What you think is fair, that's, that's what you'll be given. And so this is a man who is pure, who is innocent, who is fair. Not only that, but this is a man 
who is righteous. In fact, most of the times, if I'm not mistaken, most of the times that this word is translated into English in our Bibles, it is translated as righteous. And in James chapter 5 and verse 16, very, very familiar passage when it talks about that effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And again, there are so many other passages that we could point to. But all of that just to say, this is someone who is not corrupted. This is someone who can't be bribed. This is someone who is not going to be partial. He is both fair and impartial. And even at the cost of his own comforts, at the cost of his own relationships, at the cost of his own self. Now, this is a pure man who isn't tipping the scales for personal gain. But it is a... A man who is being equitable in judgment for the betterment of his brethren. And that may mean when being equitable for the betterment of my brother or sister, it may mean that I have to have a hard conversation with them. And so he's not just going to dodge that responsibility. He's going to be someone who is constantly trying to make sure that, that he, he, he's remaining upright. That when there is an issue, he's not just going to... So for example, if there is a... If there is a family member who needs to be disciplined, who is being disciplined by the church, and they're following what the scriptures teach about such a one that needs to be disciplined, he is not going to look at the church or, or, uh, and, and that family member and choose the family member. What he's going to do is address the problem. He's not going to ignore it. He's going to support that effort, support that decision, like we talked about last Sunday night in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's going to support that decision of the church for the betterment of his brother. He's not going to try and tip the scales or be partial and advocate for the one who's sinning. Just because it is a close relationship like a family member. This is a man who sees an issue arise in the church. And when it does, he's not going to immediately blame one side because he likes the other side better. No, he, he's not going to <laughs> jump to conclusions until he's heard the whole story. That's what we do a lot of times. A lot of times when we hear a, a very close friend, a close brother or sister, some, someone that we get along with a little bit easier than others. When they come to us with issues, what happens is we immediately just have this emotional appeal, appeal for them. We, we, our heart is tugged at their plight. Our heart is, is touched by their hurt. And a lot of times it's so tugged and it's so, uh, it, 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 it's, it's so pricked in our hearts that we kind of forget to go to the other side and make sure that there weren't two sides of this story. And a lot of times there are. Most of the times there are. And so this man is not just going to bow to someone who is just because they are closer to him. He's not going to bow to them just because they've been hurt. He's going to say, well, what did you do? Did you do anything? Is there something that needs to be addressed on both sides? He's not going to be bribed or he's not going to be tempted in one direction or the other just because he has some kind of connection with that person. He is going to continually be just, fair, pure, and righteous. He's upright. He's not going to be corrupted in that way. And so he is a just man. Finally, he is devout. And frankly, uh, I'm going to have to restart this PowerPoint again because we won't have the worship slides. I don't know. Not my fault. Something keeps popping up on the screen and I have to exit out of it. And then uh, I have to turn this back on so that way we can have the worship slides. But uh, regardless... We've done this numerous times. We all know where this is going. I'm going to get it right on the first go, right here. Uh, because it is the last slide anyway. So it's a man that is devout. When we look at a man's character, the kind of character that we want in an elder, he is devout. He is holy. And in fact, every other time that this word is translated, if I'm not mistaken, it is translated as holy. 
And I think we kind of understand what that means. Thayer would say that it means to be undefiled by sin. It means free from wickedness, religiously observing every moral obligation, pure, holy, and pious. There's a couple things that I would mention there. First of all, that notion of being set apart. That's, that's, that's what holy means. But it's not just set apart for no reason. I've used this illustration before. My keys are set apart from everything else in my house, but it's not because it's special to me. We're set apart for a special purpose, to be holy, to, to be pure. We're set apart to be free from wickedness, to be separate from sinful behaviors, to be separate from sinful environments even. When you look at the holiness of Jesus, I think one of the things that you could take from him is he never did really associate or fellowship with the deeds of darkness. That's not to say sinners didn't come to him. They did, but he was never the one that was corrupted. He was never the one that was uh, touched by that interaction. The person that changed in the interaction were the people that came to Jesus to listen. And so that when we talk about holiness, it's, it's someone who is striving to be set apart for a special purpose, to be pure, to be more like God, to be holy as God is holy, and to be separate and to be put away from sinful behaviors and environments. And, and again, I stress not just behaviors, but environments. Because a lot of times what happens is we think that we're being holy, but we are just inviting in the most wicked and profane things that we possibly could simply by association. And we need to be careful about that. Now, when this word is used in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4, in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 5, we won't go there. But when that word is being used, it's specifically talking about God who is holy. Holy, holy, holy. We talked this morning in the Hebrew class about getting to the holy of holies. What is that? Being in the presence of God. And so what is this man trying to do? He's trying to fulfill what has been said from the very oldest parts of the Old Testament. Be holy as I am holy, thus saith the Lord. He's continually striving to look like that. He is a man who can lift up truly holy hands, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, and has no need to cleanse them. As James says in James chapter 4 and verse 8, he, a lot of times when we read a passage like that where we, where we want to lift up holy hands in prayer and, and, and we want to be able to do that, but a lot of times what we have to do first is cleanse them because we've been engaging in something that we weren't supposed to be. But the man who has this quality already in place, they've already been cleansed because he's continually striving to be holy as his God is holy. And so what does this look like? Well, it, it, it's not a man who is getting as close to or, or chummy with the world. He's not trying to be chummy with people's sins, you know, as, as, as friendly as possible with it. I'm not saying that this is a man who's just trying to make people feel bad, but he's also not just going to go with reckless abandon into an association with something that is going to corrupt him. Now, let me just ask, with all that being said, is a man that is set apart, is a man that is trying to be holy like Jesus, is he holy like Jesus if... He isn't keeping his household clear of sinful influences. If he's not keeping his family clear, cleansed of sinful behaviors and influences and environments. Is a man being holy like Jesus, is he really set apart if he's constantly trying to make light of worldly practices in worship services? You know what that looks like? It looks like someone who says, you know, I really don't see a problem with bringing instruments into the worship. Why not? It would be a good thing. 
Well, you know what? We could get a lot more done if we just use the funds that we've, in that contribution that we put together every first day of the week, that we're supposed to do so, do so with a grateful heart, a grateful spirit. Why don't we use some of those funds to do some kind of raffle or something like that? What has he done? He's used worldly influences to guide his decision on a spiritual matter. That's not the kind of man who is, has the character of holiness, of piousness that we need. The man who is holy is going to make sure that none of that gets even, comes even close to what God has said we need to do in the scriptures. He's not going to, to entertain those temptations. He's not going to be friendly with those temptations. He's going to say, absolutely not. You keep that away from this because this service is holy. This is the character of a man who can serve as an elder and the kind of qualities that he's going to need to have in place to even be an elder. Now, I know that that, that was a few, a few more things than maybe you might have been prepared for as we were going to be continuing on in a few lessons of the eldership. But I don't, I don't want to come away from this thinking, I, I really don't need this lesson. You may be someone who knows you'll never be an elder for various reasons. You may just... You, you may not be the, the, have the right biological factors. You may not be a man. So you're a woman. I don't need this lesson. In fact, I feel kind of enraged because there's nothing that I'm supposed to take from this lesson. Well, that's wrong. Maybe you're someone who's not married. Maybe you're someone who doesn't have kids and you're thinking, I don't need this lesson. That's not true either. First of all, what God has revealed belongs to his sons, belongs to his people. That's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. If God revealed it, we need it. So that, that, that settles that. But why do we need it? Because what we are trying to do is serve in a better capacity. What we are trying to do is deepen our knowledge so that way we can serve the church, serve one another, serve God as best we can. And if we don't know what the scriptures teach on these things, we won't serve him well. Period. So we do need to know things. And, and you know what? We may need to, be review, we need, need to review these things a time or two over and over again. And you know what? Frankly, I, I know that, that you all have heard lessons like this. I've heard lessons like this. I've even pre preached lessons like this before. But it doesn't mean that we'll never need to hear it again. In fact, I will never stop preaching these things till the day that I die. Why? Because God has revealed it, and that means I need it. But beyond that, just looking at these qualities that we looked at tonight, which of them do you not need to be better at? Do you not need to desire to work in the kingdom of God? Do you not need to be respectable so that when the world looks at you, they think there's something about that man or woman, there's something about that person that just makes me want to ask questions about what this Bible is, what this, what this spiritual thing is. Do we really think that we don't need to be holy as God is holy? Or just upright? No. All of the things we've talked about, it's something that all of us need to strive more for. Now again, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be able to be an elder. But it does mean that we can serve better. And we can be better for our Lord. As we talked about this morning, don't, don't you want to serve your Savior the best way that you can? Work on these things. And work on helping your brethren get to the point where one day they can have this kind of character already in place that they can serve as an elder. Are you doing that right now? Again, I hearken back to the lesson this morning. How have you treated Jesus? Are you neglecting building up your brethren in this? 
Are you neglecting the things that he has taught in the scriptures? Have you gone astray from it? You can come back. You can have a right relationship with God again. Make sure that it happens either in your pew, at the front of the building, whatever the case. Make sure that you go to your advocate in heaven. If you're not a Christian, I, I said this last time, but frankly, all these talk of qualifications and qualities you need to have, you know what qualifications God has put in place to become a Christian. It's very simple. Have you heard the word? Are you willing to hear everything that he said? Repent of everything he says you need to do away with. Be faithful in those things. Make a confession on that belief and be baptized into newness of life. Those are the qualifications. Are you willing to submit to the king? If you are, please come forward. Let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.